بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأن محمدا رسول الله وسبحان الله أؤمن به واستعينه واستهديه واستجيره فإنه من هدى الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له يا رب إني أتوكل عليك وأعوذ بك أن أضل أو أضل أو أزل أو أزل أو أظلم أو أظلم أو أجهل أو أستجهل وأقول يا نور السماوات والأرض اللهم اجعل في قلبي نورا واجعل في لساني نورا وأصلي وأسلم وأبارك على محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وامتبعه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين As I was preparing for this khutbah, I watched a video that made the blood run cold in my veins. And that unsettled me so much that I could, I found it fine, I found it very challenging to organize my thoughts or focus on anything. The video was of a woman who turned out to be An orphan, she was married, her husband had died, so she's, she was a widow, or she is a widow, and she is a m mother, she has one child. And this video, this woman recorded it basically to plead and beg for help from anyone in a position to help her around the world. She's from Egypt and her problem is that where she lives 
there is a police officer who happens to work as a driver for the chief of the police station where she lives in Egypt. It's not unusual for police officers to work, to have as their full-time job, basically to drive higher ranked officers around to be their drivers. Anyway, that driver slash police officer started harassing this woman six months ago, demanding that she, she submit to him, to him sexually, that she basically grant him sexual favors. When she refused, he arrested her sister. Her sister has been in detention in this police station without charges for a few weeks. And he bluntly told this woman that unless she submits sexually, they will not only not release her sister, but according to this disgusting human being, they will continue sexually assaulting the sister in prison or in the police station. It turns out that this sister is a divorcee and she's as far as I could as far as I could find out she's not she does not have children but she's divorced. And she is the younger sister of the woman question. Of course, these two women being orphans and of a disadvantaged social status, they're powerless. They have no connections, they have no protection. And so the first question that you do when you work in the fields of human rights is to verify the authenticity of events, to get information on the victim, on the offender, and on the circumstances. It turned out that this is the woman, this woman only dared to record her plea for help because she has some guts. But this police station is an habitual offender in the area they exist in. This police station has numerous reports of victimizing women 
abducting women from the region and committing numerous sexual offenses against women. The woman in the video, the part that affected me the most is that, of course, as you would expect, she's pleading with the police, with the officer in charge of that police station, but she's also pleading with President Sisi to intervene, to help her. And then she's pleading with the shiuch of Azhar, the scholars of Azhar, to intervene, to help her. And then she's pleading with Muslims around the world to do something to help her because she doesn't want to submit to this man and she has gone everywhere to try to get help and all she finds is abuse or neglect. She actually went to this man's boss and he basically told her to get lost. She went to his superiors. They further abused her. But let me emphasize that, sadly, the problem of sexual abuse by people in power in a country like Egypt is persistent and systematic. It is not a rare occasion. It is clear that the government has notice of it and simply doesn't care because the government sees it as yet another instrument of subjugation and control towards the people they govern. If you teach people that they have no dignity, they should expect no honor, that they have no rights, then these people would be broken and submissive. Here is the problem. Muslims often wonder why their prayers are not answered. And consider this from the perspective of the grantor of mercy and beauty and forgiveness in the world. This is a Muslim woman begging because she is powerless. Begging because she is an orphan, she's not rich, she has no connections in society, and as it turns out, it, as it turns out, she's not the exception. She's not a one-off. She's not an outlier. 
that man who's victimizing her, sadly, is not an exception. The problem of sexual abuse in a country like Egypt by people in authority is habitual and regular. It is all over Egyptian prisons, Egyptian police stations, Egyptian military units. It is everywhere. But the part that kept me up and tormented my soul is how easy it would be for this woman's fellow countrymen or even fellow human beings, her fellow Muslims, her supposed sisters and brethren, how easy it would be to help her. Imagine this. If you're an Egyptian who has relatives in the police or in the military, and one of your relatives is a high-ranking officer, you could call them up and ask them to contact their connections to come to this woman's assistance. If you are a wealthy businessman in Egypt, everyone knows that money talks in Egypt. If you're a wealthy businessman, you could pick up the phone, call up your friends, who, your connections, in the military and in the police and in the government and say, you know what, help this woman out, protect this woman. But not only that, if you are a rich businessman not in Egypt, not living in Egypt, all these Egyptians who do business all these American Egyptians, all these Egyptians living in the United States, all these rich Egyptian families living in Los Angeles, they could see a video like that and pick up the phone and call one of their contacts and get this woman protected. But not only that, if you work in the State Department or you work in the Department of Defense or you work in Congress, you could pick up the phone and call your contacts in Egypt or go through formal channels and protect this woman. But not only that, not only that, if you are just a regular American 
and you have a trip scheduled to go visit the pyramids or the Sphinx, and you see a video like this, you write a letter to your travel agent and say, I cancel my visit. And the Egyptian government gets just 10 of these notices. Visits to Egypt canceled because of a woman sexually abused. Rest assured the Egyptian government would do something about it overnight. But not only that, you wonder where is Azhar? The woman begs for the shiuch of Azhar to come to her aid and says, do you want me to prostitute myself to the police officers? All those shiuch in Egypt, all those shiuch, they could pick up the phone and call their contacts in the military and the police and say, as a favor, I'm not asking for a favor this time for my son or my brother or my cousin. I'm asking you to help this woman. In Egypt, everything is done through wasta, through contacts. And normally the shiuch of Azhar, when they want something for the kids, for their cousins, for their friends, they'll pick up the phone. But you wonder, you wonder, the, you, the temptation for us sitting here in the United States and say, well, you know, there are a lot of awful things around the world. It's not our problem. But look at the magnitude of failure by Muslims all over for this woman to be in the dire situation she's in. And again, she's, she's just the one who dared record a plea. There are hundreds, if not thousands of women who are victimized and destroyed and no one ever hears of them. Look at the magnitude of failure. People who have contacts in the police in the in, in the police in Asia, people who have contacts in the military, people who have contacts with rich people in Egypt, people who are rich who are living in Egypt, or people who are wealthy who are not living in Egypt, people who have contacts with the American government, people who have contacts. Even, even wealthy Arabs who are not Egyptian. If you're a wealthy Saudi or a wealthy Emirati or a wealthy Kuwaiti and you have investments in Egypt or you have your friends, your contacts, everyone knows that the Egyptian government will bend backwards and forwards to do whatever the Saudis or whatever the Emiratis or whatever the Kuwaitis want of them. You pick up the phone, you call up your friend in the military help this woman and that woman will be helped 
But you wonder, and this is the part that kills me the most. Where is Azhar? Where are all the shiuch? Where are the illustrious religious scholars? All those religious scholars who call in favors with the military and law enforcement, so-called law enforcement, millions of times every year, not one of them thinks of lifting a finger to help this woman. The problem is the level of apathy that plagues us as Muslims. Imagine if a woman like that would record a plea like that and immediately Muslims around the world who live in so-called free countries would feel offended and hurt and just start tweeting or talking about it. Rest assured, the Egyptian government would help a woman like that immediately because they don't want the embarrassment. The problem is the level of apathy. Compare the, the non-reaction to the plight of women like that, women who are abused, discriminated against, harassed, subjugated, assaulted, raped. People will talk about whether the hijab is oppression or not from a feminist perspective, but not care about this woman because she's poor. Not say a word as if this doesn't affect the status of women all around the world. The, the issue is moral apathy and spiritual defeat. And I ask you, now when it comes to God, when God sees a woman like that and her sister, orphans, victimized, persecuted, subjugated, and God looks upon Muslims and finds wealthy Muslims silent. Politically active Muslims don't care. Religious Muslims and so-called religious scholars, not one of them would think this is worthwhile 
to mention in a khutbah all over the Muslim world, all over the non-Muslim world, all over the U.S. I am sure I am the only one giving a khutbah at Jum'ah who would mention something like this. What do you think Allah morally, morally, ethically, what do you think Allah's position should be vis-a-vis these people? Should Allah say, bravo, I'm going to answer all your prayers? Should Allah say, you are wonderful, lovely people, I'm going to be on your side? When you pray that Allah cure your son from a disease, Allah, please help. Please, my son is sick. My son is going to die. Help. Don't you think Allah remembers a time when you heard someone else beg for help and plead for help? And if you could have done something and you failed to do it, do you think Allah says, oh, no problem, okay, I'll help your kid, although you help no one but yourself. All these rich Egyptians that I know living in Los Angeles, who I know, I know that they have the cell phone numbers of people in the Ministry of Interior, of people in the CC government, who call up if their kids are going to Egypt for vacation, they'll call up their contact and get them five-star treatment with a phone call from L.A., from their homes in Beverly Hills. They could end the plight of this woman. But those rich L.A. Egyptians, they'll solve the problem and say, oh, this is a lie. This is a fabrication. They won't go through the steps for verification that someone like me goes through to find out who this woman is, who her family is, who the offender is, what's the offender's record, what's the offender's priors, what other reports do we have about incidents in this police station. They won't go through any of that. And even if they have an opportunity to learn any of that, they don't want to learn. How about a people who continue to support the government of a man who started his track record by conducting version tests during the Egyptian revolution when women demonstrated, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, when he had women arrested, he had his officers inspect these women to verify whether they're virgins or not. And he admitted that he is responsible for this policy in the United Nations. And yet, so many Muslims either support him or like the Islamic Center of Southern California don't want to condemn him. 
How about a man who started his reign with the worst urban massacre in the history, in Egyptian history? The massacre of Rabba. Please understand, we Muslims are part of a single tapestry. We are interwoven like the threads of a single rug. Allah looks at us collectively. What do we do with each other and what do we do for each other? Even if you're not in a position to do anything, don't you think Allah looks at, at a minimum, how many Muslims, how many Muslims, if they're in a position, if they are not in a position to do anything, the Allah at a minimum looks at how many Muslims cared. How many Muslims at least spent few minutes sad. Because if at least that's not fulfilled, don't, don't expect any blessings or any barakah from Allah. But all of this reminded me of something that really deserves pause and thought. It reminded me of a story in the seerah of the Prophet of Um Salama and her husband Abu Salama and their child Salama. So you can compare, you can compare ethics and morality and not even necessarily religious affiliation, but morality. Um Salama comes from one of the important Arab tribes Bani Khudayma, but she herself and her husband were poor. They're among the early converts to Islam and facing persecution in Mecca, Um Salama and her husband Abu Salama at the time, of course later on she, her husband dies and she marries the prophet. But at this stage, she's among the early converts to Islam when they confront persecution in Mecca. They immigrate to Abyssinia. They remain in Abyssinia for a couple of years. Then they hear rumors that Mecca is treating Muslims better than before. So they travel from Abyssinia back to Mecca. 
Then they discovered that the rumors were unfounded, and in fact, the Meccans are persecuting Muslims worse than any other time. So they travel back to Abyssinia. Then they hear that Muslims are immigrating to Medina, so they travel back from Abyssinia back to Mecca. When they travel back to Mecca, they find that Muslims are immigrating, escaping persecution from Mecca to Medina. So Umm Salama and Abu Salama decide that they are going to migrate from Mecca to go to Medina. This is their third migration. I'm sorry, her tribe is Bani Makhzum, not Bani Khuzayma. Anyway, they pack up what little belongings they had in Mecca and they're on their way to Medina. Both Umm Salama and Abu Salama are from Bani Makhzum, so they're both from the same tribe. Their tribe finds out that they are escaping from Mecca to Medina. They pursue them, they capture them. And Umm Salama's family, her family, tell her husband, if you want to travel to Medina, there is nothing we can do to stop you. But by God, you will not take your wife with you or your son. Either you remain in Mecca suffering persecution with your wife or son or you go join your prophet in Medina but you can't take your wife and son with you. Abu Salama Notes there's no point to staying in Mecca because the persecution is intense and relentless. So he continues on to Medina and Bani Makhzum capture Umm Salama and her kid and head back to Mecca. You will see the relevance in a second. When they get to Mecca, Bani Makhdum, Umm Salama's tribe, and her family in particular, tell Umm Salama, we don't want our grandchild raised by a freaking Muslim. So as long as you're Muslim, we will not allow you to raise your kid. And the grab her child from her and separate her from her child and tell her, as long as you're Muslim, you can't see your kid. Um Salama remains in Mecca begging and pleading with her family to let her see her child. She's now without her husband. Her husband has gone to Medina forcibly separated, and she's also without her child. 
Don Salama's family notices that she's not eating, she's crying constantly, but she won't leave Islam. And they realize that if they continue doing what they're doing, she's going to die. Finally, after about a year, they tell Um Salama, okay, fine, you can have your child. I forgot a very important part. Um Salama goes to the spot where she was forcibly separated from her husband and sits in the spot literally crying and praying and that situation lasts for an entire year. After a year, her family realizes this woman is going to perish. There's no point. We'll give her back her child. The minute she's reunited with her child, Um Salama wants to travel to Medina to be with her beloved husband. There's a problem though. Um Salama has no means, no camel, no horse, no donkey, has no money. The only way she can travel to Medina is to walk. And she doesn't want to wait till a caravan comes along because she's very worried that her family would change her mind and imprison her again or separate her from her child again. So what option she has? The only option is to take her child and to walk from Mecca to Medina, about 250 miles in the heat, in the desert. Um Salama takes her child and in fact starts walking in the desert, heading from Mecca to Medina to be reunited with her husband and to be united with the Prophet in Medina. Now, as, as a woman by herself in the desert, the risks at that time is that anyone could come upon you in the desert, rape you. That was very common. Any woman found in the desert without protection, she's fair game. Anyone could come along, rape you and kill you. The more likely scenario is anyone could come along, abduct you and your child, and sell you into slavery. That was very common. But yet, Um Salama finds that she cannot continue living in Mecca. And her passion for her husband and for the Prophet and for the community of Muslims is to risk it and travel walking from Mecca to Medina, despite all the dangers. Walking in that desert, a man sees Um Salama and her child. His name is Osman ibn Talha. 
Uthman is a Talha, Ibn Talha is a Kafir, he's not a Muslim. He's a Kafir, he's not a Muslim. But he, when he sees a woman alone, ethics move inside of him. Uthman ibn Talha at that time is a sworn enemy of Muhammad and his people. He hates Muslims. He will fight in battles against Muslims. But when he sees this woman alone with her child, he goes to her and he says, where are you going? She says, I'm walking to Medina to join Muhammad. He says, alone? On your feet? Yes, I have no other alternative. So what does this kafir do? Osman ibn Talha do? He gets off his camel. He puts Um Salama on the camel with her child. And he walks in front of the camel. He takes the camel's, whatever you call that, leash or whatever. And he walks in front of the camel accompanying Um Salama on his camel all the way from Mecca to Medina. When they get close to Medina, Uthman ibn Talha tells Um, she, um Salama tells Uthman ibn Talha, okay, now I'll go down and, and I'll come down and you can have your camel back. He says no, because you still have to walk about 20 miles to enter into the boundaries of Medina. He gives her his camel. And what does Osman ibn Talha do at this point? He walks back from Medina to Mecca on his feet. I get the annoying question often, why did Allah send Islam to the Arabs? the Arabs of past, not the Arabs of now, is because of people like that. He's a Kafir. He's a sworn enemy of Muslims. But his dignity and pride could not stand the idea of a woman, even from the enemy's camp, traveling in the desert alone with her child and out of sheer moral rectitude, he walks her all the way from Mecca to Medina and all the way from Medina to Mecca. And he walks back all the way from Medina to Mecca and he gives her his camel. Giving someone your traveling camel back then was like giving your four-wheel drive Hummer or your four-wheel ca drive Cadillac, or your four-wheel Jeep, your fancy rugged car. That's like saying, here, you take it for your own safety. It took Uthman ibn Talha eight years to convert to Islam. He converts with Khalid ibn al-Walid and Amr ibn al-As. Eight years he fights against Muslims after that incident. Eight years after that incident. 
These were the Arabs of the past. Now, I assure you, the Arabs of today, if they see an Um Salama in the desert alone, if they're in Saudi, they'll say, are you a Saudi? Even if you're a Saudi, what family are you from? Even from a family. Well, you're disgusting. What brought you to the desert alone? If they're an Egyptian, I doubt anyone would dare or care to help that woman. Ask yourself if the Arabs of today are worth Allah's message. From the time I saw this video and spent hours verifying its authenticity, I kept remembering the story of Um Salama and Uthman ibn Talha and that kafir who walked a woman in the desert more than 250 miles on his feet and then giving up his camel and then traveling back by himself on his feet from Medina and Mecca and then fighting in all the wars against the Prophet after that. Is this man in his state of kuf closer to Allah or the Muslims of today? Or the shiukh of Azhar who sit there and do the most beautiful azan and recite Quran in the most beautiful way but can watch Umm like that and just turn it off and move on. The ethics of Islam. Ask yourself what type of human being are you? And if you are like Uthman ibn Talha in his kuf, are you closer to Allah? Or the Muslims of today who don't even care that a sister is being raped or being threatened with subjugation and persecution and exploitation. The Muslims of today who sit there and deny that black lives matter or that say there is no racial persecution, or who defend the Muslim ban, the Muslim of, of today who sit there and say only bother with your own problems, do your salah, do your wudu, wear your hijab, don't care about anyone else. Them or the kafir Osman ibn Talha when he was a kafir. Who is closer to Allah? What type of God do you worship? That is the moral question. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه من تبعوا بإحسان إلى يوم الدين
as a Muslim, do you ask yourself, why are Muslims not at the forefront of defending human rights? Human rights. Why aren't Muslims at the forefront of combating human trafficking? of combating racial injustice, of combating poverty. Why is it that Muslims care more about your hijab or wearing nail polish? Whether you should wear or not wear nail polish, whether you should do, do it this way or that way, instead of being at every level of government, working for justice and equity around the world. Do you understand that the police in Egypt wouldn't dare exploit this woman sexually if our president didn't call Sisi my favorite dictator? Do you understand the power of the United States around the world? Do you understand that if our State Department called up CC and said, we don't want your police officers sexually abusing Egyptians, sexual abuse in police stations would end overnight because CC would pick up the phone or have a meeting with his officers and say, the United States warned me, they don't want this. Do you understand that we fund the instruments of oppression in countries like Egypt and Saudi Arabia and the Emirates and all, and Yemen and Libya and countries around the world. We support the dictators. We fund the instruments of oppression. We empower the immoral and the abuser. Do you understand the power of the United States around the world? And then how dare you after that say it's none of my business? How dare you say? Do you understand that when you vote for a president or you vote for a senator, you are voting for a public official who will not govern the United States? but is going to rule the world. So when you pick a senator or a president, you better think of the world, not the United States. Whether you like it or not, these are the facts. These are the realities. What good faith effort have we shown Allah when a country that has an institution like Azhar and has thousands of religious scholars, so-called shiuch, not one of them will lift a finger to help a woman whose sister is being raped, who's an orphan, and whose sister is being raped and is an imminent threat of being raped. 
Not one of those shiuch at Azhar. Not the Mufti, not the former Mufti, not the Sheikh of Azhar, not any of these people will lift a finger to help. And then I ask you, and I, I'm sorry to be so vulgar and put it so bluntly, but if you were on, in Allah's place, what would you do with these people? What would do you do with their prayers? What would you do with their supplication when they get corona and say, Allah, please save my mother, save my son, save my daughter. What would you do? What would you do when you see them living in Beverly Hills, driving expensive cars, flying to vacations in Egypt, owning expensive mansions in Egypt, bragging about their connections with the government and the army. But when they see a video like that, they say it can't be true. It's all lies. It's all fabrications. And if someone tells them, you know what, there's an expert in human rights who verifies this stuff for a living. Call Khaled Abdul find out if it's true or not. No, 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 I don't want to know. He's an ikhwan. What would you do? What would you do with these people? Here's another news item. Federal authorities in New York seized a shipment of weaves and other beauty accessories suspected to be made out of human hair taken from people locked inside of Chinese internment camps. 13 tons, 13 tons of hair products worth an estimated $800,000 were in the shipment. Hair, 13 tons of hair coming from the Muslim internment camps. And this is not the first time that the U.S. confiscates hair shipments coming from the camps that hold Uyghur Muslims. This is the third time. Imagine how many human beings do you need to control to cut 13 tons of hair and then sell it to the United States, to hair saloons and hair companies for a handsome profit. Why did the U.S. confiscate the shipment? Because there is a U.S. law that the U.S. must not allow products that are a result of forced labor. These are your Muslim brethren and sisters in China held in concentration camps, raped and killed and murdered, not allowed to practice the religion and not even allowed to keep their hair. If you not have nice hair, it gets taken away from you. 
so that the Chinese government can sell it to the United States at a profit. At a minimum, are you an ethical consumer? At a minimum, if you care about the rights of animals, do you also care about the rights of human beings? When you go to a saloon or you look at hair products, as an American citizen, when you vote for a senator or a representative in the House or a president, do you care about whether you are electing an official who will make a firm stand against the exploitation and the abuse of your fellow Muslims in China? Do you care? So many in the Muslim World League spend numerous hours assuring the world that they are completely opposed to the Holocaust, as they should be. But where are Muslims from the Holocaust against Muslims going on in China now? These are not re-education camps. These are camps that kill and murder and rape and harvest organs and harvest hair. Do you see the connection between the women who are sexually exploited in China and the woman who is sexually exploited in Egypt and the woman who is sexually exploited in Saudi and the woman who is sexually exploited anywhere in the world? Do you see the connection between that and the woman who is sexually exploited by an LAPD officer or an NYPD officer because she's poor and destitute and without means. Have you done your homework to read about incidents of sexual abuse by our own police officers in the United States against the poor and powerless? Have you read how often the police will pull over a poor woman, a minority, just to demand sexual favors or else. Do you have any clue about that? Uthman ibn Talha walked in the desert hundreds of miles as a kafir, as an enemy of Muslims, gave up his 4x4 Jeep Wrangler to Umm Salama just so he can see a woman be safe. And he was a kafir. And you might be a Muslim, a praying, fasting Muslim. Which of you is better? Which of you is better in Allah's eyes? Which of you is more worthy of Allah's blessings?
اللهم عفو عنا اللهم ارحمنا اللهم اغفر لنا يا رب العالمين اللهم اهدنا لأقرب من هذا رشدا يا الله يا رب العالمين Allah, guide us to your truth and to your beauty. Allah, grant us light. Grant us light and purity. Allah, grant us your acceptance and your love and your forgiveness and peace and blessings upon Muhammad, the Prophet of Allah. <laughs>